Hey guys, this is Paper and Pain. I'm Steve, and I'm Christian. And today with us, we've got a special guest, Timothy. Hi, what's up? Timothy, who are you? Well, I am a product manager and a do I do marketing at this company called Next Block, which is a local neighborhood app.、Um, I used to be an architect, and I do a lot of other odd jobs here and there, you know,、uh, with other companies as well. So yeah, that's that's me. I use I did UX for a bit as well, and so I mean I am in kind of in UX in a way, yeah. Did you just say that you you came from architecture background and transit into UX industry? Yeah, there's there's a lot of us <laughs> out there. Yeah, and, and it, that that was just happens. That's just something recently, about like a year or two ago. Oh, cool! Wow. Yeah. So, I've got about six years in architecture, and then like one or two years in UX. So wait, so you're building another、uh, another career essentially from scratch.、Mm-hmm. I've spent seven, six, seven years in architecture.、Uh, the most obvious question is why? Is it like what made、Oof. you transition? I don't want to bad talk architecture, but I guess I. I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll downplay. I mean, I'll say what I you know the politically nice way of saying it is just that like. It wasn't for me. The hours are not are built for a very different kind of person, and I'm not that kind of person. And I kind of saw my friends who were from outside of architecture, and how like to be an architect, you kind of had, just had to be surrounded by architects, right? So you don't see the outside world. You don't see you, you don't see how your friends who are doing other jobs are doing a lot better than you, and. Not seeing that allows you to stay in architecture, but once I was hanging out with a lot of my friends who were in different jobs, who were like lawyers, who, were, you know, in IT and tech, they just seemed to be having a lot more free time and leisure, and they were happier and just less miserable. Did you just put tech and having a lot of free time in the same sentence? Well, not say you might. <laughs> For some companies, some companies. Well, not like, man.、Uh, so wait, so you, you was it the desire to build some sort of social connections a little beyond just your、uh, your area, like your domain, that drove you away from architecture? I think I started exploring by talking to some friends of mine and、uh, just like seeing what I could do outside of architecture. What could I translate from architecture? And that started me on the road towards UX design, right? Because、mm. I um I googled it, you know. That was the answer. Like, what can I do in architecture degree? Interior、mm. design, like, nah,、mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> be a developer, nope.、Mm-hmm. Um, or lots of other stuff. And it's just like, oh, UX design. It's in tech. It's related to design. It's you know, it's it it fits into the more of what I wanted to do. And the hours were better, and the hours are better. I mean, I'm not definitely not going to judge you、uh, for that. I、yeah. think we we're in the right position to judge anyone. And like, why would you even bash someone for wanting to have a balance? Yeah.、Uh, but 
what is it that you feel like you can do as a UX product designer in terms that of you like, cannot um, do impact. as an architect? I guess there's less regulations really restricting you in UX, much less so than in architecture. I was architecture, I felt like I was just navigating through a lot of regulations half the time. And I felt more like like an administrator and a bureaucrat than an actual like designer sometimes. It just felt like I really had to just really sit down and just spend hours and hours just... I mean, the impact might be high in the end. You know, you built an actual built building. But the actual mental torment that I was going... Like, like I won't say mental torment. That's a bit too much. But like the... um. I just felt really tired by the end of it. I just really was very depressed and I just couldn't deal with it mentally in that way. And I had to kind of find something else that could still achieve a similar effect of helping people while still retaining my health. The architecture industry itself is actually a very well mature industry. It's been there for yeah, 100 been. years. And I guess that might be the reason because UX industry, design industry, especially when you come to the digital design, has been only there for a few decades. Yeah. And it's still pretty young, but basically pretty, people saying that UX is still pretty young yeah. compared to architecture. Yeah. And because of that longevity we have in architecture, that's that's dozens of um, thousands of SOP guidelines, yeah, compliances. Yeah, it's really there which leaves you very little space and room for you to get creative. And basically, just you're just building something new on top of something already new, and it's been there going for 100 years. Nobody even dared to challenge, to change it much, it's, compared to the scale that we have in the design, in UX design. I see there's a lot of like old God, old God, like old Godism in a way, like where like there was, there are a lot of institutions and traditions that are, keeping younger entries from really growing their businesses and you know for if you're an uh, up and new and young and architect who wants to start a firm it's very very difficult for you because it's just you really need a lot of the connections that the old guy kind of has like the old older architects may have and they're doing well because they like they've they've do they've they've kind of like gone through that rigor in that time where it was thriving but i feel like in a way now as a young architect, it was very, like, I wanted to learn how to run a business as an architect. I was trying to figure it out, right? I was looking at what my seniors were doing, but in a way, I felt a lot of it was guarded knowledge. And, like, you know, you really could not, I could not learn as much as I really wanted to really start. I, I was learning how to just design and build, but never, like, how to eventually create a business and create an architecture firm. You know, those things were, like, things that I just didn't feel like I was, that was being translated onto me or the imparted onto me. And that's that's part of the reason why I felt like, oh, you know, it's a bit too long. I don't want to wait till I'm 50 to be, be to have my own business. I kind of want to start something earlier. I know. I A lot of people would say that there's a lot of gatekeeping in the industry as well. Uh, yeah. As designers, we definitely see that. I, I can't really agree with Steve's take on architecture and design being different in the in that regard because oh, yeah. Yeah. in order to you know nurture the old guard you don't need a few decades even so they just come up they emerge and the practices that we have in the industry today yeah. uh, they are not being challenged enough as well but when it comes to regulations uh, you bring them up as a point of something that well, essentially like yeah. it, 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 you need them. but. The way you put it is regulations wear you down as a creative. 
as someone who's uh, supposed to be uh, involved in designing new things yeah. and coming up with new ideas, you have to dig really deep into the paperwork, into the formal requirements. Yeah. And a lot of things that you are demanded to take care of uh instead of focusing your attention on well the the creative side of things well, i think in a way just like like one thing that i definitely cannot get wrong is just that i don't hate architects i i admire them because i like it takes like i said it just takes a certain kind of uh level of detail and that kind of rigor to be an architect right oh, yeah. and i am not that person because i i'm like i'm in my i i'm i'm i would say like a big picture kind of person if that's a nice way to put it and I'm a lot less detailed than some of my peers were, and this, you know, like ultimately, uh, I I couldn't achieve that, that level. That, of that, that is perfectly fine, I think. And yeah. again, even among designers, you see that a lot. There's a lot of people who are fine working with design system components and doing one thing, right? There's yeah, people yeah. who are really great at conceptual design. There's folks who focus on research and uh, user studies. So yeah, you you get to do a lot of a lot of those things. But one thing I do agree with with you on, and we have discussed this with Steve before, is uh, as a designer, you get to see if you're lucky enough the impact of your work on yeah. other people much faster. Yeah, and you get to actually uh, you, you you get to like experience the the aftermath of changing people's lives one way or the other uh, it does not have to be anything ambitious but you still sort of like you can touch it even if it does not live through yeah, you know you don't, you don't, i mean you touch it in a very met a metaphorical sense yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> yeah figuratively yeah. touch it so you can you can measure it uh, or or you can like quantify it or maybe it's just some minor little thing that has an impact on your business on your users and all and as an architect i can imagine that you know, not seeing the results of your labor for years. Years, yeah. It might be, it might be quite, quite daunting. It's like you almost have to kind of have faith that your project won't get cancelled, that delays will not happen to the point where you get taken off a project or that you leave by the time a project's <laughs> done. It does sound a lot like being an agency designer, to be honest. It just, it just felt like I think just projects just felt. My attention span could not keep up with it. Like being able to like have a few years in a project just sort of just sort of made me feel a bit like uh, okay, I don't think but I can. Tell 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 me one thing. Yeah. Have you ever thought that maybe uh, being a little slower is actually a good thing? I think yeah. I mean, I do believe in the slowness of certain projects, but architecture it's weird because they do kind of. The, the slowness isn't a kind of slow, methodic, drawn-out process. It's more like very, 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 like, in intervals that may give you a heart attack, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, basically, it rounds pulse by pulses. Pulse by pulse. And it's, yeah. it's not healthy because it's, you, yeah. it drains you each time you go for one of these, right? You feel like, I feel like my soul gets sucked out a little bit. And I was just like, oh... Yeah, but I need you, a... you feel like we're all basically just running in circles, right? We we either doing one, where where it's like decades before things get done, where it's hundreds of years be, before somebody steps in and says, "Well, can we just stop building the same thing over and over? Can we just come up with something new?" And on the other side of the spectrum, you've got those like fast things. You got yeah. fast fashion. You got fast like, life. You got fast delivery. Everything snappy. Everything has to change all the time. 
it, something that you did yesterday is no longer valid and relevant because somebody came up with five different things and there's nothing in between. There's like an, an empty hole, basically a gaping mm -hmm. hole. That's like mm -hmm. widening. Mm -hmm. I... Why? What did we do to find ourselves in this situation? Oh, I think we're definitely, we're being marketed this idea of fast, you know, like it's, it's like, I think like I was just researching it up and it was just this idea of cult of, the cult of efficiency. I think we just have this obsession with getting things done so quickly with instant gratification. You want your, your microwave, din micro microwave dinners, you want your streaming ASAP, everything is there to the point where we just like, if we don't get it, we can't function anymore. Like, you know, like going like, yeah. Spend a week in a cabin in the woods. Can you survive? You know, like, like. Well, how many emails are you going to miss? Yeah, that and that, that's what you'd be thinking about. How many notifications is, are going to come in? Can you oh live like? God. Can you live like Ted Kaczynski for like, <laughs> for like a week? You know, can well, like you, a like, couple hours. You know, just just detach yourself and stop thinking about getting a new thing, getting some more stimulation, getting something, something, something all the time, and. I know that's like the big C's in the, the big tech that is doing this for mm. us. Maybe it's uh, the corporations that are teaching us to embrace this kind yeah. of life. Maybe it's us. Because ultimately, if you it's strip us of, of like the consumerism, right? And if we stop buying new things, purchasing new things and hunting new things, we'd still be eager to get something new, right? New experience, new, new learnings. Like there's so many things in the world. There's so much information. And we're just like we we swimming in it. If if you if you miss it for a second, you feel as if like you've just you just set yourself for like you 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 just feel like you're you've just encountered a setback. You know, you don't want you don't want that because you feel like I'm losing the race. Yeah. You know, and I'm someone may have produced race. something else within that second. Yeah. And if you if you had missed the first thing, then you may also miss the second one, and then it starts piling up, and there's giant debt is like it never goes away every day is an episode of 24 you know? oh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. but i i don't know like like definitely feel like you have to actually as a designer as a person as a human being you actually have to conscientiously slow yourself down you have to do things that are actually like you know that are not like that are not like hey you know like this may not be good for my schedule but i need to take some a mental health day or mm -hmm. heck you know i've done like a 10-day silent retreat in like um this this cause like buddhist vipassana thing where they don't let you keep your phone you're gonna like you have you it's like your phone is with us is that kind of torture that they're doing i mean it's mental it's your own torture you torture yourself you can walk out anytime you want to you can't go like if, oh it, if like after day five you're like i can't stand this i can't fuck can i swear on this yeah, go ahead. Uh, I can freaking <laughs> freaking swear on it. Uh, freaking, I can't freaking stand this. I've, after five it's days, an emotional I'm episode. Out. <laughs> I I want to get out of this place, and I want to, you know, like you can. Mm -hmm. They'll be like, sure, yeah. but you know, y y the whole cause is ten days, and everything you have done for the first five days, if you decide to leave, will just be gone, it and you can't say a word. You can't say the word about like it. You can't, no, you, you're, I mean, no, I'm just saying that you can say something. Mm -hmm. That'll be a cult, you know, if you can't say a word. For, so how are you cult. being productive if you don't have your phone and you can't attend meetings and you can't even talk to people? Yeah, so it's, the idea is that you, is that you throw productivity out the window for 10 days. You just, oh. this is for you to kind of just be yourself and like to reflect on who you are and like whatever it is. It's soul searching, which may not be very good for a 
productive designer, but it may be good for the person who is the productive designer to survive in the long term. It's it's an exercise for your mental resilience, isn't it? Yeah, it's like I mean, from that I kind of can from from that I can really you know take hits now in terms of like sh- bad shit happens, maybe I lose my job or something happens like that. I can kind of I know I can bounce back because I'm like oh yeah I mean I'm I may be set back a little bit but I'll be fine. Chris, I think you should go for that too. Oh, I I don't think I don't think a podcast host and you know someone who's well, you going go going for conferences and giving talks is a good person to go and you know not talk for ten days. But mm-hmm. I feel I I feel like I'm 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 trying to change my life. So recently, I've been thinking about this a lot. Mm-hmm. That uh, the way I I've been trying to feel this this hole in my soul mm-hmm. which is again driven by <laughs> driven by a desire to be productive constantly uh was by essentially consuming things oh, yeah uh it, not as much buying things but you know just trying to get to as many things as possible trying to read as many things as i could trying mm. to get to as many places as i could and i always felt like i was missing out on something and uh i got to a point where i realized that my desire to achieve as many things as I can, it actually mm. drove me to doing less mm. and consuming more mm. things that I didn't need only because I felt like, well, that was my way of like fulfilling the the need to live the life to the fullest, right? So I'm trying to speed uh, up when it comes to achieving those like tangible goals. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, everything else, uh, I'm slowing down. I'm not buying things I don't need anymore. Mm. I'm trying to buy things that would last me longer. Mm. And if I can, mm. I'm opting for more sustainable options. Mm. Uh, not talking about like greenwashing or anything, yeah. but if you have a good quality t-shirt, it yeah, does not yeah. have to cost you an arm and a leg. You can always get like a secondhand one, right? Like, but it can last you much longer than a Uniqlo shirt that you will just toss away after like a couple washes, right? Yeah. And... Uh, we recently discovered that the European Parliament finally passed this legislation, the uh, basically proposing uh, a new eco-design regulation, yeah. which means that the planned obsolescence that is embedded in a lot of products will yeah. basically be be banned, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I have a few questions, and I want yeah. you to maybe just take uh, a few minutes to explain it to like whoever's listening to this. Yeah. Uh, what is planned obsolescence? Okay. How is this going to affect people like myself a few years ago when I was consuming things fast, but at the same time, like I couldn't, I, I couldn't afford, you know, luxury goods or anything. Yeah. And what do you see as the long-term consequence for everybody? So planned obsolescence in a nutshell so I can give you I'm going to give you both the short and long kind of answers yeah yeah so for short term it's just you know how you you know how like your iPhone uh, after like one two years it just stops a few years it stops working and you had to replace Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. it's like that's planned into it you know it's not it's 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 design it's integrated wear and tear into your project design in the way it it will just gone off yeah like you need to replace your product after a while because that's it's designed life hmm. but so what ultimately like that the story of that i think i've i've told steve already was just mm-hmm. like the um in 1920s in the 1920s they um 
the light bulb companies were not happy that their products were lasting to like 2,500 hours per light bulb. So they made a cartel in the, mm-hmm. in like in during Christmas is like some evil scheme, you know, like it was like a oh my god, and like it was, it was like these little mafia families, right? Like mm-hmm. the, like this the ma- they've been the reading black Dickens mafias. too much. They're, they're like, really, okay, we need to do like, some evil things on Christmas. Like, <laughs> what can we do with it? <laughs> like a Scrooge McDuck, a Scrooge not McDuck, Ebenezer yeah. Scrooge <laughs> level of evil, where like pre pre uh, Carol, where he's like, oh yeah, you know, we need to reduce the amount of hours yeah. to your light bulb. There's more to it than this. I mean, I'm just summarizing it, but. Basically, that's why light bulbs for a while were like a thousand hours. They got broken. They got looked into investigated in the 1940s. But then like um, that is the main idea of plant obsolescence. And that is something that Apple uses and like mm-hmm. companies like Apple does use because they know that their products are like for like last for, for a few years. Like I, I have to change my phone after four to five years. There's no mm-hmm. way around four to five years. I can't keep my products for 10 years or 20 mm-hmm. years. But if you if you go use like an old like headphones... There's some old headphones I have, like some from the 1970s and 80s, mm-hmm. right? From companies like like Denon and all that, and Sanho, Sanso. I forgot what the names were, but like these Japanese ones from the 80s and 70s, they last. They can still function up to today, and they're still like they're repairable. They're easily repairable. Okay, but companies are getting basically they get in this infinite cycle out of it. Yeah, right? because because they 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 you and, you have to buy the products. From yeah, them. and we as designers, we basically contribute to. To, to a lot of products becoming obsolete just after a few years yeah. mm-hmm. by constantly designing new things, right? Yeah. By coming up with new things. And I mean, architecture is not as fast as, say, product design or digital design, but yeah. I bet that architecture has got its own way of, you know, uh, designing buildings so that they do not last as uh, long as, I don't know, a Roman wall, right? Yeah. Nobody's building a house so that it stands there for a few thousand years. You, know, you can't compare uh, what a plywood a plywood wall to a Roman concrete dome, you know, for sure. But the, the idea is like, what are we getting as consumers out of this? Like, wouldn't it be better if I could buy myself a phone and spend the next, I don't know, 20 years with it and just enjoying it. Because, like, it's already pretty good. Why do I need anything, yeah, anything exactly. else? That's the point. Like, I mean, like, I, I would love to have a phone that can last me 20 years and I don't have to get a new one and think about it. But I have to kind of, like, work for my next phone, you know? I kind of have to look out for the next one. But I think they almost imagined... I think what the idea of it might have been was that, you know, Apple may have done their research, they may have looked into what customers mm-hmm. actually do, their actual user behavior, and realized that consumers themselves do throw their phones after four to five years. Yeah. So they have designed it into it. So it, I mean, like maybe 90% of the population does that. You know, 10% may be ones that keep it, you know, might keep running with that old phone up until like they really, the phone is just crushed or something at some point, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> until it encounters a, yeah. a, <laughs> a tragic end. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of these um, practices probably have designed around what people would normally do. I mean, there are people out there who change the phones after like one year, and I and I I get very upset, like horrified when I hear about that. You know, they change their phones mm-hmm. from one iPhone to the next. Then company companies like telcos, they are trying to encourage you to exchange your phone the next year for something new on yeah. a contract. But uh, when you say people, it makes me think of uh, the funny little. Uh, incident that happened just now in Singapore. So mm. the three big telcos here, 
Yeah. They announced that they go into essentially phase out 3G support in the next year, mm. which means that there won't be no 3G network available mm. in Singapore, meaning that phones uh, the know. phones, yeah, the especially feature phones, yeah. they won't be usable anymore because they won't be connecting to the network, which means that a lot of workers... Uh, migrant workers, builders, construction yeah. workers, people who rely on this technology won't be able to call home. They won't be able to stay in touch with the families, meaning that uh, we have thought of this as a revolution because yeah. we are essentially introducing a new generation of network, right? It's yeah, much yeah. faster, it's more reliable and all. But at the same time, there's this giant pool of users were essentially being left out intentionally so and i mean that if that is something that we do and we understand the consequences of this how are we doing anything good okay so i i do a lot of um similar to what you talk about with the migrant workers about people being left behind I do some work for like uh, government, right? Where I do volunteer and help out like uh, residents and all that, and like uh, like a constituency, local constituency, and like um, Singapore. That's where we are at. Is you know trying to move towards e-governance and trying to move towards you know everything is on an app and everything is you know um, using your smartphones. A lot of old people are suffering. A lot of old people are like struggling with this, and they are getting like text, like you know, like the the shock of you know, you just don't know how to navigate this. They they, they are basically world. like they they the stranded whales on the beach yeah. when there's wave of technology pushing them to the beach and they just kind of left stranded there. And and they say like, oh, you know, hey, we are still leaving the manual ways of doing things there. But as a yeah. result of this shift towards the hyper fast te- like technology technologically driven apps, yeah. you know, the old ways are not made efficient either they are actually made less efficient because you know if you are one of the unfortunate ones that have to go through like the long process of manually filing things and all that Mm -hmm. like you know there's not going to be enough manpower put towards it you know like the amount of effort and time and concentration that is focused on that is very minimal so like those people who have to go through that they just aren't getting their needs met you know yeah, man, that actually reminds me of um, like last night I was taking the cab home yeah. and the, the, the cab driver, um, I guess he was probably like in his 70 plus, yeah, so yeah, yeah. with white hair. So we talk about the upcoming election, which is happening in September this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I came across the news recently. It says uh, the election this year might start to adopt, they're going to try to do something called an e-election. So yeah, yeah. basically you start to cast your vote online. And... The cabby driver told me he was very shocked and he felt um he felt more stressed about it because he he sees himself as um very technological um you know, abandoned person yeah. yeah and he said that means uh, it, it, I'm gonna it's gonna take me like two to three days to understand how this works if it doesn't work uh, I, is there still queue for me to actually just go in a queue in a line like we normally did before? And don't even get started on how this gives it, this gives enough opportunity for politicians to rig the elections mm. in this particular examples. Or just exploit the fact that you cannot do things the so-called old-fashioned way, mm. meaning that you are forced to uh, adopt it or die. Yeah, and in many cases, it's like it's literally die. If you do not yeah. have 
technology X, yeah. then you cannot do things, yeah, that that you 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 are supposed to be doing. Meaning yeah. that, well, it's it's your own fault in in the eyes of the society today, in the eyes of the companies and the government. And like ultimately, it's it, like you know, I I guess what needs to be done as a designer is that, or as any anyone who has the agency to create these apps, you got to be very inclusive. With how you set aside these projects and programs, you know. But but the whole thing comes back to the starting point is because the life is getting faster nowadays. Yeah. Which brings it to um to the topic like we want to know mm. from your perspective. Do you think actually is this our choice to choose to live faster, or uh, why do we choose to live faster? And is a fasting, faster life, a faster fashion, faster technology that we're experiencing in the past two decades, is it really benefiting our life or it's just making our life more stressful? I think we just don't feel like we have a choice. It's, it's, uh, it's just that if we don't do it, we like I said, we feel like we get left behind, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we have to adhere to this cult of efficiency that we've set mm-hmm. up because if we don't, we are slow and we are slow, we are liabilities and then we're less useful to society. And, and it became a negative feedback, it became positive feedback. feedback. So it just getting worse need, and worse. Yeah, you need to be on your toes all the time. Mm-hmm. You need to be doing your work. If mm-hmm. You need to be doing like really good work as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. If you're not, I mean, ultimately the human factor gets taken out because you get mm-hmm. seen as like a, a mixture of positives, like, mm-hmm. like what is your positive impact versus like, and how quickly can you get something done, you know, rather than, doing something like, you know, like as a human, taking yourself, considering yourself as a human being and trying to figure out, you know, like like stretching your, w- w- a reasonable amount of time to get things mm-hmm. done, you know. And, and that sounds a little bit desperate because um, it sounds, it's very little effort we can actually do from the bottom. It, it sounds like it's something you need to push from the top. It is because I mean, in the end of the day, we have some agency as like individuals. We can, you know, like do our best. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, if the system is really that demanding, and requires for us to be that efficient to get things done, then we, then that's why you see a lot of rise of mental health issues these days. You know, mm. people are breaking down, and they are, you know, like they're not. I mean, if you talk to a lot of people, they don't like the jobs in general. Like people just don't. You know, like there's an Okinawan concept called Ikigai where you're like happy in your job. I don't think, I think that's kind of a foreign concept <laughs> to many Singaporeans. Like and, 99%. and the book is really bestsellers. And, and the book is a yeah. bestseller, which is ironic, which is just like, that, that's what people desire, but that is the furthest from what we actually have. Even that book, you know, that book when, uh, there was one book, the, the, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Or, yeah, yeah, then, yeah. Then, then you have the second book after that, it's like when everything is fucked. And and the funny thing is when you try to like live like that, people shame you for it. They'll say like, "Oh, you know, like you're not you're not really act behaving like a Singaporean. You're not kiasu oh. enough. You're not you're not efficient <laughs> enough. Yeah, you're not seizing all the opportunities that you're given. Yeah, you're not seizing. A, you know, when yeah. and like the you know maybe with your baby boomer, you'd be like, you know, when it was your I was when it, it was my day, we any kind of opportunity <laughs> we would seize it. We <laughs> need to see. It's, it's, it's a leave or death moment. Yeah, like I see people who are hungrier than you. I'm like, hunger is such a good thing. You need to be that way. I'm just like, oh, whoa, okay. Yeah. Well, man, like to some point, yeah, I I do agree that you should be ambitious, but. Mm-hmm. But if it's the only thing that's really driving you and keeping you there, it's like you definitely it comes at the cost of something. Okay, you know? okay, but uh, you 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 brought up a good point, right? The 
older generation is sort of imposing those insecurities onto the kids. And Living this, vicariously through us. Yeah. yeah and the, we sort of do the same uh, through basically the practices that we pass down to the the upcoming design generations, basically, yeah. right? So what can we do to uh, educate the new designers, the newcomers, uh, <laughs> on the importance of, you know, living a slower life, pioneering those sustainable practices, just, you know, designing things that won't be made obsolete in a few months? So... Okay, like you definitely like you have to walk the talk. Like I've I've met when I meet an architect, like I've met architects in Australia hmm. who've like, who, and he was a Malaysian, so he was not far from Singapore. And so he didn't like even though he he would have sounded Singaporean mindsets, I imagine, but he definitely had a sustainable practice that was slower. They hired like really properly paid carpenters and like not like Singapore where. All construction work is done by very cheap labor, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's done really quickly. Their project yeah. will have taken years, but their work is done so well. It's done slowly. It's done this process, and they, you know, they weren't driven by profits. They took the bike whenever they could. They, mm -hmm. you know, used the car share. They lived the way they, mm -hmm. they, they preached. I have know? to say, this already sounds expensive. Okay. A, a a PM in me, you know, or, a, or like a business person in me already says, well, how much is it going to cost you then? Especially if you if you transpose it onto like digital design. Yeah. Mm. Wait, okay. So what what do you mean like in terms of like if you're transposing all these the ways that these these guys work onto digital yeah. design? Yeah. Well, it's like I know ultimately you do have to meet your clients' needs, right? Or whoever needs of your own product. Mm -hmm. But you also whenever there's room for you not to do it, you know, try to you know like ultimately. Not everything has to be done at a, at the highest cost possible as well. You know, I guess when you want to be efficient, there's there's certain levels of efficiency. Like you know, mm -hmm. how do you use less resources in creating your app or your website? You know, where not it's yeah. you don't have to have all your images up at twenty four seven time. You know, it could be when you you mm -hmm. could load it only when it needs to come in as a UX designer. It doesn't have to be a constantly live image of or constantly live like icons or or you know information or data on your on your servers. Mm -hmm. You know, so there's stuff like that you can do that yeah. reduces the amount of resources spent. So then it gives you time that you save those resources there. Then it, then you can start thinking about, okay, you know, like when I'm designing stuff as a UX designer, you know, you sure you need to meet your client's needs, right? But ultimately yeah. your stakeholders, as a if you want to be a sustainably minded individual, you'd have to have a bigger, how do I say it? Like this, this sounds really hippie. I'm sorry. Like you got to have a mm. better you have to have a wider consciousness, you know, like you, you have to think about, okay, like, you know, who else would it affect that I'm not accounting for? Mm -hmm. You know, sure. Like if I implemented this space saving thing, like let's say my iPhone, you know, where it's replaceable, sure. It might make my company more profits, but will it mm. hurt anyone? And who would it hurt? You know, it hurt the communities where e-waste goes out to. If you ever seen, yeah. there's this one um, film you should watch, which is called like Manufactured Landscape. It's a bit old, but it kind of shows the extent of e-waste. And this was during like the mm. like the early 2010s period where this film came out. And I can't imagine what it would be like now, the extent of waste since yeah. then. It could be like way more, you know. And it's just you just have to see and see and as an as an as a designer, you kind of have to have some idea of just where your products are gonna end up. 
how your products are being made. You have to you have to think about you know the factory owners, the factory workers who are actually making this product. You gotta hope that you are you're you're being sourced ethically and you know sustainably. Yeah, yeah. I feel like uh, I have stumbled upon a few engineer driven projects that are essentially driven by an idea to not only reduce the size of the website, that has been yeah. a thing for a while, but also to choose more sustainable hosting solution, for instance. Yeah, yeah. The one that is not only cheaper, but also like uh, is not contributing too much to polluting the environment, for instance. Uh, at the same time, I'm looking at the amount of cloud tools that we are using in the yeah. practice. If we're talking about practice, right? Yeah. Uh, the amount of resources that we spend, I don't know, uh, preserving things online yeah. and trying to like safe keep them. Uh, how much uh, energy is wasted on maintaining all of our Figma files? I cannot even <laughs> imagine, to be frank. Because the amount of energy it takes to not only keep them all up and running, being available there 24-7 in different locations, you know, having backup servers and all. And then you also need to keep versions of them. You need to make sure that the collaboration tool works properly. I'm. It just makes me really sad because we are not thinking of that. This is not even on our radar. Yeah. We, can, we can discuss anything, but when it comes to practices... I think these are the things that we can realistically start changing within the organization. So we can at least influence them a little bit. But when it comes to product decisions, right? You're a PM, right? So yeah. you, you're the right person, right? To answer yeah. the question. How do we make responsible choices when it comes to the products? This is, okay, this is going to be very anti-design in a way. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's like counter to whatever you may want, like to hear as a designer. But in my company, because we are a startup, like a lot of times we are strained for resources. So our mentality is that if it doesn't need to be have a product made for it, it doesn't need to have a product designed for it, don't. So it's not there if it's not needed. If it's not needed, do not put it in. Amen. You know, if it's really not needed, do not put it in. Mm -hmm. If you can solve that problem using other means, even like marketing, through marketing, through some social media, through already existing resources that we already have, you know, let's say, oh, you know, we, do, we need to increase user engagement let's just let's just do a way of like creating manually creating posts instead of designing a something that can like you know yeah. Yeah. use up resources but at some point as well you know some of it i mean you do kind of need to balance it out where like yeah sometimes you do need to just give work because it's sure. you know people designers do need to work you know mm -hmm. so some things may not necessarily be um useful like not like needed all the time it's a desired product still sometimes it might be worth working on just for the second like, yeah, yeah, it's helping my product grow I'm giving my designers work yeah. it's a bit of that mm -hmm. so it's a fine balance of that but it's, it's you gotta be very like um, you you probably just had to have a more awareness of how much resources you have and like how like what can you do to really just don't blindly design basically you know just don't blindly design because yeah. ah, I like it you yeah. know I'm gonna do that you know because it sounds really cool you have to really think through like, okay, you know, what is actually in store for when I need to make this? You know, how much man hours am I using up? And is that man hours important for, do I really need to use this man hours for this? You know, does this help? And then like, if you want to go one step further, it's like, oh, how does that you know, affect stakeholders that are beyond the usual stakeholders? You know, like, like that is when you start going into that, op that expanded consciousness level. Yeah. We are thinking about like, oh, you know, like, um, could it affect other parties that, like people's like you know especially when it comes to like you're designing for accessibility 
if you're designing something extra extra into it, you might be making the lives better for uh, older generation people who may not you know may not be as used to the app interfaces that a young person might be very familiar with. Mm-hmm. You know, you're designing for them as well. Ultimately, you are taking those people into consideration. I believe that that's a part of sustainability in a sense as well. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, you are reducing their mental strain. Mm-hmm. And, and that's speaking from a designer's perspective when you try to make a responsive choice as a designer. What yeah. about um, a, a responsive consumer, a responsive user's behavior? Hmm. As a user... I mean, it's very difficult because like, usually you just, you know, like you don't expect them to really have that much. They, they're more like, oh, you know, I'm here for a reason. You you probably have to like kind of go like, do I actually really need to use a product? Mm-hmm. And like, is this really something that I need to to spend? Especially when you, okay, I guess more, e-commerce is probably the best place for me to look at this because mm-hmm. ultimately whenever you get something shipped to you, you would use up resources because that your, your action has caught has created a chain of events that mm-hmm. that starts a cycle somewhere in China that <laughs> leads to products being shipped from one port to the other port. It just traveled around maybe half of the whole globe to sure, reach to your they doorstep. May mass, they mean mass shipping, whatever. There's but. a lot of energy. There's a lot of emission behind those. But then, I, I'm not sure about you, but it happened to me a few times before. Yeah. Um, every moment when you're starting to order something online and waiting for weeks for them to delivered to your doorstep, especially when this item is not actually directly accessible from the local warehouse. Yeah, it has yeah, to travel yeah. from some other countries there. And then the moment when you receive that item on your doorstep, and that will be weeks, and then you start to realize, oh, the the moment of happiness, the pleasure when you hit the buy now and place the order button, it's yeah. really gone. Yeah. And you start to realize what a piece of junk I bought. Like, oh, this is okay. not really that useful anymore. Unless and, the product is really cool and I'm like, oh shit, oh crap, yeah. I love this. <laughs> you know, yes. I'm so and glad then, I bought m- it. Most of the time, it's very disappointed when you receive that. Yeah. I, I guess it's like, you need to, so in a way, you need to kind of like, the retail therapy part of it, you know, like, like, you might you might as well just go out to a shop and buy that because you still achieve the same euphoria euphoria from like yeah. buying something yeah. directly from a shop rather yes. than ordering online. You know, mm-hmm. at least and you can you, try you out your size. Use up less energy. Yes. You know. Well, I think just to you know nicely sum up what we've just discussed, uh, I think it may sound like we preaching mm. uh, by saying that we need to live a little slower. You know, use this opportunity, you know, the the time of the crisis to actually slow down a little bit. I say it, living a bit slower actually is better for you. I mean, I, I'm really like, I'm yeah, not, I'm not, I'm not yeah. saying this like as a like, oh, you need to do it. You need to suffer for this. It's actually like. Yeah. I mean, perhaps taking the 10 days of silence would be the kind of suffering I would probably not it enjoy. It doesn't have to be painful. But <laughs> you don't have to do 10 uh, days. Otherwise, uh, you yeah. just spend time in nature, you know, something like that. You know? <laughs> Take a walk. <laughs> just throw yeah. your phone away. It's like, otherwise, just prioritizing, you know, making conscious decisions and trying to do uh, the, well, the best you can do mm-hmm. to not multiply the waste to not contribute to the fast life fast fashion fast consumption I mean, you could I don't, like my, my my belief is just like i know i know we shit a lot on hippies right but like mm-hmm. just like you know ask yourself what would a how, how would a hippie kind of approach it and kind of like find a, a balance between a modern person who's like living fast and all that and a hippie and like figure out what's the middle point where like oh yeah you know that is you know how do i compromise 
my my environmentally minded self and my this my cult of efficiency self who wants things done quickly. What is the middle ground where I don't, you know, I'm not using up as much resources or taking as much of a carbon footprint or whatever you call it, you know, what is that middle point where I can realistically live? Because you may I can't just go out there and live in a cabin, you know. Maybe I can, but I would. I don't. Not right now. I'm not in a position. To a do century that. years ago, but, maybe yes. Yeah, a century years ago. You know, I'm not. I'm no Martin Heidegger. I can't like do that. <laughs> but like, but I know. do enjoy that book, Walden. If you, yeah, if you have read that before. Oh yeah. Which well, one? The which? Walden. Walden. Yeah. yeah. So basically, the, the there's a philosopher. Yeah, I will probably the send you a link. So this American philosopher, he tried to live in a cabin for oh, years, yeah. and they're just near a lake called Walden, and then he wrote a book. The book's name is called Warden. Warden. All right, we'll look it up. It's like, well, I mean, it's it's an idea that's very kind of central to a lot of human beings, actually. Like the idea mm-hmm. of living separate from like the hermit lifestyle. You know, well, this maybe maybe we don't really we don't really have to get hermetic or anything, but yeah. I think it might be nice for all of us to like learn to take a step back and actually look at what we're doing, the kind of yeah. impact that we're making, and think about what we can do better, even if it's just a small little thing. A tiny little practice that would make us feel better and that would essentially impact our products and our influence on other people. For sure. Then that might actually lead us very far. Yeah. Yeah. Thank thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Thank you. It's really insightful, really inspiring. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go and stay silent for the rest of the day. Oh, you can just have a phone free day per week. Nah, I'd rather stay with my phone but stay silent. There's paper and pain. This is Steve. This is Christian. Cheers, folks. Yeah. Thank you for listening to us. Yep. I'll see you on the next episode. Cheers.